Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 151. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Half for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Ridge, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack and Little Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One, by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family savings on a multi-seat tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. It changed the fortunes for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, Format Film and The Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copy today. You can now order my latest book, the TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books, please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I'm currently working on a Dino Writers article for Back Issue Magazine and, of course, the Mad and Turtles books. My next book should be the Pac-Man book I turned in earlier this year. 
It should be out sometime in 2022. On today's show, we have a comic book anchor who has worked for Marvel, DC, Disney, Claypool, and others, as well as being the basis for Seduction of the Innocent. Here he is, Steve Lealoa. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with a new Fun Ideas podcast, and today we have a special guest, Mr. Steve Lealoa. How are you, sir? I'm good. All right. And um, we interviewed your partner, longtime partner, Trina Robbins, a few episodes ago. Um, Usually I ask about your career, but I've never asked either of you about your relationship. I mean, how did you two meet and how long have you been together? Well, living in San Francisco, um, a mutual love of kitties. Um, But being in the same town, in the same line of work, you might say, we're both doing comics and uh, just hit it off. We have a lot in common. Here, let me. Let me. <laughs> That's okay. I, I may have a special guest dog, too. <laughs> Cats and dogs. <laughs> so we've been together for uh, quite a while at this point. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It's about uh, uh, 15 Forty some odd years, something like that. Did so, you actually did you actually meet in San Francisco, or is it like at a convention yes, or somewhere else? Yes. Oh wow, okay. Yes. Well, <laughs> how I'm, did that how did that happen? I'm, you just bumped I'm into each other one day. Hey, I know you. <laughs> you know? Well, we we'd actually done a lot of conventions together. Oh, okay, so, so you had met. So, so. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, but I I was born and raised in San Francisco, so I've I've always been here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and Trino is another one of those transplants from New York, <laughs> of which there, there were many, including my own mother, who had come here by way of New York and Hawaii and various mm-hmm. other exotic places. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anyway, and still here, still mm-hmm. here. Now, with a name like yours, one would assume, but I knew you were from San Francisco, one would assume you're from Hawaii. So do you have yes, Hawaiian have... heritage? <laughs> yes, yes. My okay. father was Hawaiian. Okay. One second. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, very it's a very laid-back at... podcast, so, you know, things happen, you know, they happen, you know. Very good at destroying things. Yeah, that's what cats and dogs do. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you have something important, he's going to sit on it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Where was? Oh, yes. Uh, my Hawaii. father was Hawaiian. From from Hawaii, mm-hmm. I have many relatives there. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was born and raised in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned, um, my dad was in the Merchant Marines way back when, uh, veteran of World War II. Uh, eventually settling in San Francisco. And uh, so, I. Have you lived in San Francisco? Pretty much the story. Have you lived in San Francisco your entire life, or did you ever move around? Uh, as a kid, we moved to the suburbs, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, actually, once I got a real job, which was working for Marvel, I could afford to actually find my own place, and I moved back to San Francisco. Okay. So, did you ever live in New York when you were working at Marvel, or is it always freelance? No, no. Okay. It's, it's one of the uh, advantages of freelancing. By the time I came along, uh, they were okay with uh, 
working with people who did not actually live in New York City or people who couldn't personally drop stuff off into the office, um, <clears throat> which is fortunate for me. I mean, part of that is I, I met people who were already in the business who had moved out here, mm -hmm. uh, which is Jim Starlin and Alan Weiss and yeah. uh, Tom Orzakowski and uh, Mike Friedrich, although he was interesting in that he technically came from New York, but he was actually from here originally as well. So he just <laughs> moved back to the Bay Area. Hmm. So anyway, I met, I met all of those people. Mm -hmm. uh, a Frank Brunner. I, mm -hmm. I knew I was forgetting somebody. Yeah. <laughs> um, they had all moved to, uh, to the Bay Area. And uh, anyway, it was a lively uh, comic scene back in the mid-70s here. Mm -hmm. And that's like where you did your first professional work, right? Is when you were doing things yes. like Star yes. Reach and Quack and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. How, how did that come about? How did you, well, just knowing well, all these people? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, Star Reach was Mike Friedrich's uh, publishing. Um, by the time Star Reach had come along, I was doing... I had started working at Marvel, working on, as an inker on Warlock and Howard the Duck, which okay. is, of course, Jim Starlin and Frank Broner. Right. Um, uh, and Steve Gerber, but he didn't live here. <laughs> um, uh, so Mike was uh, open to work. Um, well, just having worked on Howard the Duck, it certainly uh, went along well with a, uh, a comic called Quack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a natural fit, so. Mm -hmm. Was Quack, I've seen it before, but honestly, I have never really read it. I've only uh, seen the covers. It was that kind of a reaction, kind of like later when Gerber did his Destroyer Duck reaction, or was it? Uh, well, it was kind of a... I mean, Howard the Duck became such a curious, um, not quite hit, but, you know, a lot of people liked it. It was just so weird. I liked it because it was so weird. I love Steve Gerber's writing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I wouldn't say jumping on the bandwagon, but uh, alternative type funny animal stuff, uh, mm -hmm. not your usual Disney stuff. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the, the impetus for that. I mean, it wasn't the only one. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people suddenly coming up with wacky, funny animal stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, I think of like the stuff we're doing for, for Marvel was definitely more serious. Less opportunities to play around with, with the material than uh, if you're just doing a one-off or... Uh, a smaller company. Right. But wasn't Quack a little more mature? I won't say underground, but I mean, a little more. Oh, mature might be, mature <laughs> might be stretching it a bit, but yes. <laughs> but I mean, uh, a mature in like PG or PG 13. I don't know if it was really yes. R or X. Okay. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, implied sexual encounters between funny animals or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> 
I mean, back then, you know, comics code was still in force. I mean, it wasn't as strict and strong as it once was, but still, you know. Yeah, things were, well, uh, I remember Jim Starlin. uh, Actually, it was Tom Orzakowski who put in the cosmic code authority on one issue of Warlock. (laughs) And nobody at the office noticed it until it was printed. So I remember that. <laughs> I was very pleased to be part of that book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's where I first saw your name was all those different books like that, all the ones you're mentioning. It was Howard the Duck and uh, a Warlock and things like that. I was just picking them up, and so I recognized your name. And then years later, we met, and I go, oh, you're the guy. <laughs> I'm the guy. Yeah. Yes. Now, typically on all these books, you just did inking. You did never did uh, penciling or anything like that. Is that correct? Yes. At that that point in time, my drawing wasn't wasn't all that much. I I was much better with with a with a pen and a brush uh, than I was at the drawing. So it was actually a very good place to learn. Um, and as an inker, I was very fortunate to work over some really I mean, some of the best pencilers in the business. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fun, it, you know, inking Starlin on Warlock and then Frank Brunner on Howard the Duck. And then Frank left after two issues and suddenly I would found myself inking John Buscema and then Gene Colan. So I always thought of it as like being tossed into the deep end of the pool when it comes to inking. Mm-hmm. But I loved inking Gene Colan. Uh, well, I mean, I liked inking John Buscema too, but he was a formidable challenge. <laughs> but how, how so? <laughs> oh, he, I mean, he's just a, a incredible draftsman. I mean, really solid stuff. But what you would get is was often just layouts. So it was up to the inker to add rendering, shadows, and all of that sort of thing. Um, so. Uh, it kept you on your toes, but I, it, I studied a lot of other inkers to see how they handled his pencils. Um, anyway, it was a, a terrific learning experience, and eventually I got my drawing improved enough so that Marvel was willing to give me a chance. I did a couple of tryout things, and and then I remember the first thing I drew. That Marvel was Spider-Woman. So I was on that for, I don't know, I forget how many issues. <laughs> yeah. Any, and I read many that issues. too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I think from about issue 27, something like that. About right. Something like that. I didn't look it up. But, you know, it's, about, it's something like that. But it wasn't issue one. I know that. <laughs> about issue 40 something. Well, I think there's 47 issues in the first run, the initial Well, run. The, the book went to 50 issues. And then oh, it was 50 issues? Okay. Yes. Yeah. They ended I just remember I was buying it, but I, uh, I didn't always keep track of the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, at this point in, in time, it is a bit of a challenge to remember what issue was where. Right. Um, of course, now there's been three or four volume one. Uh, I mean, number ones. You know, you have volume two, number oh, one. yes, one. yes. And it's hey. like, uh, I give up on numbering. <laughs> They start over every uh, uh, every once in a while, right? With a whole new 
whole new version. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't been following Spider Woman too closely, but I always wanted to do a, a version where she was she was more spider than uh, than human, more spider than woman, but still looking good, of course. But, I think they've gone that direction, but it was the spider, sure spider, spider girl character that's more recent. I think she has like eight arms or something like that. I don't read Marvels much anymore, Marvels or DC. So in the current stuff, you know, it's just like I go to the shop occasionally and I go, oh, okay, you know, but it's like, it's not really the stuff I read anymore. So, you know, for me, it's like your era is the era that I love the best, 70s and 80s and stuff like that, you know, with Marvel and DC. Well, I did like it when they gave Spider-Man eight appendages. I mean, it seemed appropriate. Right. Well, I guess it would be hard to keep your secret identity if you've got six arms. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I know they're incorporating a lot of that stuff into, like, the current movies and stuff like that. So even if you don't have all the books, you know. They're throwing all of them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, doing that, at least I can kind of keep up that way, you know. (laughs) It does yeah. help. Yeah. I did um, like the Spider-Verse movie. Mm-hmm. Now, going back on inking, um, you know, some of these people, like you said, Bruner and stuff like that, they were local, you said, all in San Francisco yes. at that time. So that did you time. did yeah. you work together in the same studio or just go from each other's homes or how did you do it back then? Yes, it, in these pre-internet days, yeah. it was all done... Um, Um, one of the things that Jim Starlin and Frank Brunner had in mind was being able to produce a finished book uh, out west uh, and then sending it in to Marvel. Um, so the fact that I was local uh, worked into it. So I could, I lived in San Francisco, but both of them lived in uh, Oakland at the time. Okay. So it was easy for me to get there and just pick up pages and mm-hmm. it was also it's it, it's very helpful to be able to talk to the penciler and, and go over the pages just to make sure everyone's on the same page literally uh doing this stuff um so i i inked a fair number of frank Burner's things over the years which was nice um i inked savage sort of conan i think that was the title Conan had a lot of different titles. But it's hard to keep track. Well, that one was the magazine one. Was that the one? Yes, the exactly. Magazine? Okay, okay. The black, the black and white stuff. And then I, I inked um, a story for Quack. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the Duckaneer, <laughs> um, as well as doing my own stuff for that, but also inking Frank's uh, stuff, um, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, but yes, it was local. I could uh, pick up pages, and when I was finished, I can send them, give them back to either Starlin or um, or Frank. Mm-hmm. Now, the ones that were on the East Coast, did you just work through the mails and you know just yes. do it like that? Yes. So you just sent the mail stuff back and forth all the time. Yes. Working with Marvel, it was all the regular post office. Um, and uh, eventually Federal Express became a thing and uh, it switched over to that. But I've been very lucky and never lost a single package 
over the years. So very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know one but, story yeah. with like Sergio Aragones with Mad. I think over all the years he worked for Mad, one issue the mail got lost, and so the marginals didn't make it in that issue. And it's like, yes, yes. There's there there are the occasional stories. Um, I remember once at a San Diego convention, uh, Ramona Fraden had, I think, a whole two weeks of dailies, something like that, had gone missing. <laughs> um, and uh, like a dozen people <laughs> pitched in to help her finish off a new set of strips for uh, uh, to make her deadline. Uh, but yes, this stuff does happen. But it fortunately hasn't happened to me. Uh, in fact, it's still working that way. Um, uh, getting Federal Express packages from from the UK. Uh, so far, so good. Haven't lost anything. <laughs> now, do you still primarily do inking today, or and do you do it still the same way, pen and brush, or do you? Have you graduated to the digital world? <laughs> Some people. <laughs> we, we do. I do mix it up. Um, I pencil stuff and and ink stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I do like to do both. Um, but so far, I'm st we're st still doing it the old-fashioned way on paper with pen and brush and ink. Uh, uh, although a lot of Photoshop isn't involved these days because. Uh, everything is gets scanned and it's all sent in mm -hmm. um, digitally. Um, lots of touch up in Photoshop, fixing anything that uh, that goes horribly wrong. <laughs> now, do um, you do that, or do they do that wherever you send it? I usually do that. Okay. Um, I mean, theoretically, they could do it, but right, it's, it's easier just to yeah. have a nice finished piece of artwork to send in, right? As good as I can make it. Now, in all your years, I don't know how the professionals do it, but I mean, as far as inking goes, you know, when you work, you mentioned like uh, Basima and you mentioned uh, um, Colon and stuff like that. Did anybody that you work with give you direction on how to do your inking or were you at free will to do whatever you wanted or how did that work? Well, amazingly enough, no one ever did. Um I did ink a Rich Buckler Howard the Duck cover, and and he was there keeping an eye on it to make sure, as he put it, I didn't mess it up. <laughs> Poor, he, he seemed to like the way it came out. So, but generally, uh, um, generally you're kind of on your own, which is uh, can be a little tricky because mm -hmm. if they don't like what you're doing, they may not tell you. <laughs> they'll, just, they'll just find somebody else to work on it. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, so far it went pretty pretty well. Uh, I had a particularly nice time inking Sal Buscema's stuff on. Uh, I forgot the title. <laughs> All these weird type Marvel two and one Marvel team up. Team up, yeah. Spider Man and various other characters. Mm -hmm. uh, but Sal, I always, for example, I always thought was a very underrated penciler, but he's extremely solid penciler. Um, and in those days, he was doing mostly layouts. So it was really up to the inker to make it look more than just, you know, well, more than just layouts. Uh, a lot of the inkers didn't bother to do a whole lot, but 
Anyway, I enjoyed working with uh, over Stalin B. Seven's pencils, mm -hmm. as a for example. Uh, but you know, they left that entirely up to me how it would go. Mm -hmm. I can't remember who exactly the editor was on that book. Um, <laughs> it all blurs together. Well, I worked with, I, I've gotten to work with a lot of really terrific editors. And I've been, I think I've been pretty lucky on that point. So, mm -hmm. And uh, I'll ask about a few of those. Um, before I go into that, uh, I was just curious kind of what your educational background was to become an inker or just an art in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I always invent envy the people who could take the Joe Kubert school classes because there was nothing like that when I was I was yeah. a kid. When I was a young fan, um, when I was in college, I was a math and science major. Uh, and then somewhere along the way, I kind of veered off into being an art major. Um, so that was probably the extent of my art training. Lots of life drawing classes and, and, and illustration classes and stuff like that. Um, but mostly it was working it out at, on the job, as it were. Mm -hmm. so, but there's nothing like inking a couple of hundred pages to uh, sharpen up your inking skills. Mm -hmm. so. So when you were taking art classes, were you taking the, uh, which university did you go to? Oh, I went to a local junior college that oh. just happened to have, well, I, in the San Francisco area, there, there's quite a few excellent colleges. Mm -hmm. And I checked out the art departments of all of them and ended up at the College of San Mateo, which oh. worked really well for me because it was both free Mm -hmm. And they had a really good art teacher there who was teaching life drawing, and he was a graduate of the Pennsylvania Academy of Art, um, which has, you know, a pretty impressive history of some of the best illustrators in the country. Um, anyway, he was a really good art teacher, uh, which helped me considerably. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, and some of the other teachers there were also uh, former Disney uh, artists. So it had, they had a very good coloring class. I mean, color theory, all of that sort of thing. And the life drawing class was excellent. But at that point in time, I had no idea I was going to end up, I mean, I had no designs on being a comic artist per se, because at the time, the idea was you had to live in New York to be in the comics biz, or, you know, I figured, well, I had no idea where I was going to end up. <laughs> Maybe Disney. Um, I mean, also in San Francisco and the Bay Area, there's a lot of filmmaking going on, which was also right. really interesting. Um, I mean, in the early 70s, uh, a friend of mine worked at the American Zoetrope, which was Francis Coppola's company. Mm -hmm. So I got to watch uh, new guy, George Lucas, filming THX 1138. Oh, wow. So okay. <laughs> by the time Star Wars came along, I was very familiar with who he was and what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So in fact, I, I had friends who had been extras in all of his movies along the way. I had two friends who, who were extras and they, 
one of them played a hippie and the other one played a cop and they got to beat each other up. <laughs> it was very funny. Was that in THX 1138 or? No, something? no, that was, that was in more American graffiti. Oh, okay. Many years later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but still. You know. mm-hmm. That's and, and, and American graffiti was filmed around here too. So, well, they, they all were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I briefly worked for Coppola's company in the nineties. My wife actually worked there longer and it was just, I think it just, just called Zoetrip. They took off the yes. American part. And, yes. uh, I, I worked there for a summer just being the receptionist because I was between jobs and, uh, I got to go to his, um, ranch up in Rutherford ah, a couple nice. times and Lucas was there, but you know, this is long after they've had their great success. It wasn't, sure, you know, sure. so, you know, when they were, when they were relaxing. Yeah, basically. Although I did just get to see George Lucas chase one of his kids. So it's kind of <laughs> funny. Yeah. I get to see the real George. Come back here, you know, <laughs> but, yes, uh, I, yeah, I they're very gracious and, you know, yeah. yeah so what, when I was there, I remember uh, Francis, his kids were very young. I mean, we're talking, I don't know, 1972, something like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever year that was. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Well, but it, it, was, it was very interesting. Well, it's around the time of The Godfather. That was like the, yes. the big film they, in 72. So, yeah. they, were, they were working up The Godfather. And I remember Mario Puzo was there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, John Cordy, the director, was there. I mean, it was a it's a working production facility, so it wasn't just Francis Coppola. Was, there were a right. lot of people working on all kinds of interesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine who got into special effects had a job there, which is how I ended up dropping in from time to time to mm-hmm. get a look at what was going on. Anyway, so did, did you ever side trip. did you ever work for them at all, or work for them, or do any storyboarding <laughs> or anything like that, or no? not directly? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, eventually, years later, I ended up doing storyboards and things like that for some of the local animation companies, but uh, I don't think I no, I never worked for Coppola directly. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of curious, you know, because you know when you look at your bios or at least ones i see like the wikipedia page is pretty much comic book comic book comic book so um but i know it's not complete so that's why i figure i'll ask you i mean uh but in general i haven't i don't usually mention that because it's just you know i mean do people i mean in terms of film work i've done storyboards for animation i worked on a tv show an abc tv show which was uh, canceled over after two episodes, I think. One of the quickest uh, canceled shows ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on a plus note, I got to meet uh, uh, Adam West, who had been scheduled for a future episode that never got filmed. Um, but it's all fun learning experience. So I did storyboards for the TV show and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, uh, trying to think. <laughs> um, I, I did some stuff 
for Spawn Cartoon Show. Hmm. Um, and some titles for various movies. Uh, just odds and ends. Yeah. Um, interesting little side side projects in between comics. So, so um, I was just kind of curious. Um, now it's probably easier, I suppose, for you to get a job because you have a <laughs> you know varied resume from the past. But back then, like, I've been take, lucky take, enough like, to. Yes. <laughs> to get the job at Marvel in the first place, I mean, did you actually fly to New York to do it, or how did that work at that time? No. Uh, I kind of lucked out there, too. I I, th- I, see, I think of it as coming in through the side door. Um, uh, Jim Starlin was looking for an anchor, and asked, I, I did some tryout stuff uh, for Alan Weiss, who was also part of the group out here. Uh, I did a, little, a very little amount of work helping out Alan on a Tarzan story that he was doing for a European publisher. Really nice job. I don't, I don't think I ever saw it printed. But um, anyway, Starlin saw the stuff I was doing for Alan and asked me if I'd be interested in inking Warlock, which it just happened that was my favorite Marvel book at the time, so I was <laughs> certainly <laughs> certainly up for that. Mm-hmm. So he he kind of just informed Marvel that he had an inker, which I don't know how well it went over at Marvel, but uh, <laughs> at the at the time the editor in chief was Marv Wolfman, mm-hmm. and I had done some fanzine work for Marv, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, like eight years earlier mm. when I was still in high school. I mean, and I think Marv thought that I probably had improved since those days <laughs> uh, and was willing to give it a chance. So um, anyway, they liked what they saw and it all worked out. So uh, well, it always seemed like, how, um, always seemed like Marv. And then eventually, Eventually, I did go to New York because it's always a good idea to meet the people you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I visited Marvel in 75, which was really very enjoyable. Um, got to meet everyone that worked up there. All very nice people. I, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the prime time, you know, 75 to 80. It's like, oh, you know, pre-Jim Shooter. It's like, ooh, you know. You know, I'm not saying anything bad about Jim Shooter. It's just there's something about the 70, 60s and 70s Marvels. It's just kind of like you know, I, I think iconic. he was. I think technically he was there at the time, but he uh, I forget who did what and when. But uh, well, I think the editor in chief yes, around that we, you're talking about was Mark Wolfman, and then yes, I think. I, I don't remember the order. I think Archie Goodwin did it for a brief time, and then it finally exactly. got to be Shooter for a long time. But um, I know Marv, Lenwein, Archie Goodwin. Yeah, um, I forget which order. Like you said, yeah. Yeah. it all blurs together. <laughs> um, but yes, so. But you probably got in there the right time because Marv always seemed because the first time I saw Marv was on the Dracula title and yes. magazine and things like that. So it seemed like he was more open to 
different people, different ideas and things like that as an editor, you know. So. In, in, in retrospect, Marvel at that time was very open. Um, yeah. It uh, almost chaotic, you might say. <laughs> but um, they were trying a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the titles would come and go so quickly. I mean, that's one of the things that Howard the Duck was a surprise. I mean, mm. you know, this weird little title. No one had any idea what would become of that one. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that, I don't know, Stan wasn't quite paying attention. And suddenly there's a book called Howard the Duck. And <laughs> people are asking him about it. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, it's kind of funny because, you know, you see people kind of laugh about it now, but you see like advertising at the time and any sort of promotion, they always had Howard the Duck pictured in there, even more than Star Wars or something. You'd think that would be the biggest title, but I think for a time, Howard the Duck was the biggest seller for the, the whole company. You know? Well, there's a certain amount of comedy relief in there, but uh, right. well, I think I think at that point in time that their biggest seller might have been the X-Men. Yeah. Um, I forget exactly. Um, But X-Men was doing very well. Yeah, I think that kind of surpassed it. You know, it's like the new X-Men started in 75, as did Howard the Duck, you know. But I think it took a while for X-Men to kind of ramp up. By 79, 80, yeah, it was the top. Yes. never dropped. So, you know. True. But... uh, Um, Yes, I think in 1975, I don't think any title seemed to stand out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean maybe the old the old standards. Yeah, uh, it was Spider-Man, the old like Spider-Man, Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're talking a lot about Marvel. Of course, you worked there for a lot. You did New Mutants and Firestar, Bizarre Adventures, other things. But later, you moved on to DC, and how and why did that happen? Um. It's one of those things where um, the people in the comics biz all move around. And I tend to, uh, one aspect of working in the comics biz is working with people you like to work with, mm-hmm. which, you know, makes sense. I mean, you want to work with people you like working with. And all the people I've been work- working with suddenly were all working at DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I just sort of gravitated over there. Um, I mean, editors like Mike Carlin and Marv Wolfman. um, I had just drawn an issue of Spider-Man written by Marv Wolfman, and it was a two-parter, and Marv left Marvel (laughs) mid-story. So he had had no idea how the story was supposed to end. Um, but then he was suddenly working at DC. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's one of those people that had been working at both of them right. on and off, you know, all the time. Uh, anyway, so I knew a lot of people. The, the same people I had been working with at Marvel were now all working at DC. So I just mm-hmm. sort of ended up over there. And opportunities came up and um, Mm -hmm. so on. I forget what the first thing I did at DC was. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, but I thought it was Batman, but I could be wrong. I don't know. (laughs) Could be. I I inked various things. I did 
ink some Batman stuff early on. A few uh, Alien Armageddon over Dan Jurgens. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, I got to pencil a couple of pages to, for Batman. Um, Justice League International. Hmm. Um, I forget. It'll come to me. <laughs> right. Uh, eventually, I ended up uh, working on Vertigo stuff, which is right. you know, my personal preference. I right. mean, um, I just like the weird fantasy type stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask why, you know, not that, you know, there's anything wrong with that. I was just kind of curious, sure. you know, because I think overall now you've worked for uh, Vertigo longer than any of the other. I mean, it's still DC. Yes, but, you know. yes. Um, that's right, Vertigo. It's no longer Vertigo. Um, I'm actually still working for them. Well, now they're back to DC. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, yes. I mean, that, that, that was also inadvertent in that, um, well, ironically, I was, I was in, uh, on my way to a convention in London and had dropped by uh, to visit uh, Brian Talbot, who was drawing several story arcs for Sandman. Mm-hmm. And uh, the day we were supposed to go to the convention, he still had two pages left to do on his Sandman story arc. And the regular inker on that had I think he'd just gone on vacation. Um, <laughs> and that anchor was Mark Buckingham, who of course is now drawing fables, um, who, who I've worked with a long time. Anyway, I just happened to be there. And I, uh, I got corralled into uh, inking two pages of Sandman. So uh, that was my introduction to the folks over at the Vertigo side of DC. Mm. And uh, I started doing a lot more work with, with them from both Karen Berger and uh, Shelley Bond. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think at this point it's been, what, since 1995? Something like that. Sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a while. Yeah. Um, but- now, is Although your... I was actually at that point still doing, I mean, as a freelancer, I mean, I was still doing stuff with DC. Mm-hmm. I think one of the last things I did at DC was inking a Steve Ditko job, who was mm-hmm. one of my favorite artists. I mean, the reason I, as a young fan, I was inspired to do this stuff by, from mostly Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, mm-hmm. as many people were. So being able to, to work with those guys was was always a treat. I got to ink a little bit of Jack Kirby and several issues drawn by Steve Ditko over the years. That's cool. <laughs> anyway, so that was uh, the last thing I did at Marvel was uh, an Avengers, I think it was the last thing I did, an Avengers story that Steve Ditko drew a sequence and I was the inker on it. Very cool. 
Now, back then, were you just kind of jumping back and forth between the companies? Or yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of people I, seem to do that eventually. There's no real loyalty anymore. It was just well, like it's, um, well, it's not that so much. But you know, an editor will call up and say, "Would you like to ink a Steve Ditko story?" I don't know. Nah. I don't care who, who he was penciling it for. I was well, I, I was in. Yeah. So I would. I was happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I even got to meet him once, uh, mm-hmm. briefly up at Marvel, and uh, he told me he liked what I was doing. So I took that as a definite sign <laughs> that that I was on the right track. So that was nice. Yeah, everybody always kind of thought he was kind of a recluse and everything, but he actually was not outgoing that he was going to conventions, but I mean more outgoing if you got to meet him and talk to him yeah. and everything. He wasn't, uh, you know, like that or anything like that. Well, you know. He wasn't so much a recluse as he just wasn't interested in, in uh, I don't know, the, the public side of, comics you might say like yeah. like you say he he never went to conventions he wasn't interested in that kind of stuff yeah because um, i'm friends with mort todd who published crack for a while uh, and he also worked for marvel so yes, and yes. uh he was close with steve and i asked him you know when i was working on my crack book years ago it was like uh what was steve ditko like i had no idea and he says oh he's yeah i would he would just talk to you about everything. And I said, would he even talk about Spider-Man? Oh yeah. He'd tell you everything. It just, he didn't do it in public. Like he would never do a podcast like this to talk about his career. We'd have no, no, no. (laughs) So, but you know, yeah, privately, yeah. If you're sitting with him, yeah, he'd tell you what he felt, you know, uh, what he did. (laughs) So. Wow. I love this work. I mean, it's, uh, a major influence on my approach to comics. I mean, he's, uh, I don't know, I think he's one of the best storytellers in business, just a fabulous sense of space and, and, and pacing and, and dynamics. Mm-hmm. Plus, he managed to do it all in a really simple way. I mean, it's, he, his work wasn't dependent on heavy rendering or, or whatever. Not right. that there's anything wrong with that, I mean, no, but there, there's there's many ways to do it, but I particularly love the way he did it. Yeah, it's like when you look at his early pages, you know, it's, it's very simple, but, but deceptively, deceptively simple. I'll say that, you know, because it's not yes. like simple. It's just, it, you know, it, it it's not embellished with a lot of heavy, you know. No, no. <laughs> Beautifully drawn, terrific choreography, mm-hmm. just, you know. Anyway, a so particular growing, favorite. So growing up, I'll, I'll go into that direction since obviously you just said you're a Ditko sure. fan. What, what did you read in comic books growing up? Well, I mean, as a little kid, I, I just read whatever happened to be available. <laughs> I think the earliest ones that I remember were Harvey Comics and stuff Yay. like that. Uh, <laughs> we're talking, you know, the late 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, Somewhere along the way, I started reading, uh, well, the not funny animal stuff. And, and I remember the early random DC comics, nothing in particular. But as I got older, I started, I did gravitate towards the, uh, um, well, Superman comes to mind. 
I like Superman imaginary stories. Wayne boring. Mm-hmm. The way the way he drew Superman as if he were just walking through the air. Just um, uh, as I got older, Marvel's Marvel became a thing. Uh, I remember somehow I did read the first Spider-Man story. Um, and uh, anyway, eventually in the early '60s, I became an actual fan of it rather than just reading casually I thought oh I have to get every single issue now <laughs> um, and it was Jack Kirby on Thor that caught my attention hmm. okay <laughs> I mean I eventually figured out that there were specific artists drawing these things and and I say oh all of the stories I like are drawn by Jack Kirby hmm. and, uh Actually, before that, the first time I was aware of comics being drawn by actual people were uh, Gil Kane and Carmine Infantino doing the, the science fiction-y stuff at DC. Mm. Um, uh, and then eventually I got to the Kirby and Ditko stuff and so on. Mm. Kubert, another, another longtime favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tempted to say the usual, the usual suspects. Somewhere along the way, Neil Adams and Jim Steranko showed up. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of injected fresh ideas into the comics biz. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in hindsight, we know that very few people were hired um, in those years. So any new person that came along was... Uh, conspicuous mm-hmm. um, uh, and then eventually things changed completely and, and mm. I think in the early 70s it was late 60s I forget the exact time but all the new young guys like Kaluta and Wrightson Jake and Simonson they all seem to show up around the same time. Yeah, it's like 71, 72, somewhere around there, I guess. Something maybe, like that. Maybe a little bit earlier, but when they got their, you know, yeah. notoriety, I'll say. They, I mean, they might have started a couple of years before, but sometimes it takes a while to go, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, as an avid young fan, I, 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 I saw all of their stuff. I mean, I, um, I first saw Bernie Wrights and stuff on the fan page in Creepy Magazine. He did something for them and sometime in the mid-60s. It was funny because I was, I was talking with Bernie and he, he remembered something that I had done that ended up on the fan pages of Creepy. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're both checking those things out. So, uh, anyway, so. You talked about inking Ditka. Did you ever ink Kirby or anybody else that you admired like oh, that? A little bit. I inked a Devil Dinosaur cover and a Machine Man cover, but the Machine Man cover I did was really weird, so they never published it, no. uh, except in an issue of Foom. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did a couple of, I inked a couple of convention drawings. Um, mm-hmm. uh, trying to think of the things I inked in, in real time, as they say when Jack actually drew it and then I inked it. Um, mm. 
And I inked a couple of panels on Destroyer Duck. So we're mm. just helping out. I mean, right. There's no credit, but um, no, Alfredo cool. Alcala was the inker on that one. And uh, it just so happened that I lived upstairs from Tom Orzakowski, who was lettering the thing. So I got to see it uh, as it was in progress. And uh, I asked Alfredo if he mind if I inked some of it. And since it was a benefit book for uh, Steve Gerber and nobody was getting paid, he was fine with not inking stuff. So I just inked a couple things that you wouldn't notice that it wasn't Alfredo. Hmm. So, <laughs> um, anyways. Well, one of the things... Yes. Yeah, one of the things I, was, I wanted to ask about, um, and we did talk a little bit briefly. So, um, it seemed like you we were talking. We said that Vertigo was probably the company we worked at the longest. Is yes. is Fables the longest running title you've worked on, or is it something else? As it turns out, it is. Okay. Um, uh, it's. Fable started in 2002, mm -hmm. um, and it actually is still ongoing today. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how much I know. I know it's been mentioned. It hasn't. I don't know. I don't know if it's been announced. <laughs> well, it's not like it's top secret or anything. But there's a, a new series, new Fable series. Mm -hmm. that's coming out and I've been working on inking that um, mm. there's several several uh, issues in already um, but uh, that's what I've been working on anyway so it's been going for almost 20 years now now did you take a break or have you been on it the whole time there were many inkers on that book but I was okay. I was like the regular inker for a lot of it. Because okay. um, I, I know you won four, four Eisner Awards, so you had to have been on it for a certain amount of time. In the original run, and I yeah. inked, I don't know, maybe two-thirds of that, something like that. Hmm. Um, uh, I was just notified that our connection is, has gone wonky. No, it's doing okay. You, you kind of... Oh, okay flip a little bit off but it was that oh, way with Trina. it was that way with Trina as well but I just kept her talking so it was okay so okay. I'm more concerned about the audio than the visual so if you freeze right. like this you know it's okay so we can continue so go ahead uh fables <laughs> uh, I forget where I where where I um well I, I trailed off well, I mentioned that uh, you were like a primary anchor, probably at least between oh. 2003 and 2007, yeah. because you got four Eisners right in a row. <laughs> were you like the only anchor then, or are you just the one that got uh, all the praise? <laughs> the uh, the way the series was set up was that there was a main storyline, and then um, there were other stories with different artists. So there were a lot of, there, there's many, many artists involved in, in fables, but I was the main anchor on the main storyline, which was penciled by, um, the first issue was penciled by Lan Medina. Uh, and then uh, Mark Buckingham was the regular penciler for the main storyline that was going. 
Um, but, uh, and I inked most of what he did. Although I took some time off to illustrate a prose fables novel mm -hmm. uh, that Bill Willingham wrote. Um, and then when that finished up, I went back uh, to inking on the book. I think I took like, I don't know, 10 or 15 issues off. Uh, probably not that many. Hmm. I'd have to actually look. Um, or something like that. Anyway. Um, but I just did a lot of inking. We also, it's one of those uh, titles that always seem to have deadline problems. So there was often three or four inkers uh, on a particular, on any given issue. Uh, Andrew Peepoy did a lot of inking and they, mm. they called Dan Green every, in every now and again. Um, I think that's pretty much it. And so, sometimes Mark Buckingham did his own inking to save time. Uh, these pages are all being mailed around, which takes up time. Mm. Uh, of course, during during the course of working on fables, they uh, digital stuff got better, so we could send files around. Um, mm -hmm. And occasionally, you mentioned working digitally, that I would sometimes get uh, files of the pencils and print them up in the blue line method and ink off that if things got really tight. But always hated working that way and try to avoid it whenever possible. But anyway, I inked a lot of Fables pages over the years. Now, but, did you take a break from it because you had other work to do or you just took a break? Yeah, I, I took a break to work on uh, uh, illustrating the Fables novel. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's what that was. I, I took a break from fables to work on fables. So, <laughs> now you also so, did a lot a slightly of slightly different fables projects. So. Right? Did you? You also did a bunch of work for Paradox Press, which again is DC. Yes. Um, yeah. But was that, was that at the same time, or is that before? Or uh, that was that was earlier. Okay. okay. Um, some of the same editors. Okay. Um, because a lot of times I see all this stuff after the yes. fact, and I don't check the dates, so I just figure, oh, it's just stuff oh, he's doing. You know? alternate, <laughs> no, alternate projects. No, those were fun to do, because they were usually like two or three pages, uh, just short little things. Um, they were always in a nine-panel format. Hmm. It was interesting. Um, again, those were fun, because being just sh little short things, you could... Uh, um, well, I could I could switch up styles. They didn't all have to be in the same style. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being I particularly enjoyed doing. Uh, there was a story about Bluebeard, Blackbeard. <laughs> Bluebeard was in Fables. Blackbeard was in <laughs> the, the Paradox Press. Um, and something about uh, sailors being Shanghai in old San Francisco. That was fun. I could actually research the actual places that uh, some of them still exist. So all these years later. Uh, anyway, so I did a, a fair number of things for uh, the big little books or whatever they were called. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, they were trade paperbacks, right? You know, yes. They weren't really comic yes. books. So 
Yeah, and I forgot the series title, but yeah, there's a bunch of them for a while there. You know, the the something yes. book of something. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, you know, and uh, I used to flip through those a lot and buy those. Those are kind of neat. Yes. Um, yes. Now um, it says on your bio, but I didn't see what comics you worked on. That you worked briefly for Disney. Um, was that for Marvel or yes, or that was directly through Disney or what? In the days when they were two different, two separate companies. Uh-huh. Um, I had worked one of the things I had done at DC was some stuff on Swamp Thing hmm. and Heidi McDonald was the editor at that time and then she ended up working for Disney Comics as did Marv Wolfman hmm. um, and anyway I did a few things for, for Disney um, I inked first cover of the Roger Rabbit comic oh, okay. book okay. over Rick, Ho- Rick Holberg was the penciler and I did the inking and I did a couple of I did a gargoyle story for uh, Disney Digest that was fun um, based on the cartoon show um, and a few other things not a whole lot of work um, the thing about Disney was that they were they did not return the artwork, oh. <laughs> and uh, which was, you know, a major negative. But it was fun just to do a couple of things for Disney, right? Which is ironic now that Disney owns Marvel, right? And, uh, <laughs> they they no longer do the owning it all. Uh, yeah. Well, but, the, but this was Marvel. Disney Comics when Disney published them themselves, right? It wasn't Gladstone or Gemstone or yes. Shell or yes. anything. <laughs> Else, it was actually when Disney did it. So yeah, yes. okay. Well, I don't. Yes, the the higher ups at Disney, I didn't, they don't seem to like actually publishing anything themselves, or didn't at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been following it. I'd be curious if does Disney actually publish anything themselves? Not not now. I, I mean, that, that was when you were working there. That uh, yes. now it's usually farmed out to IDW and I. Th- think maybe boom well, that's I what i mean i don't think marvel does any uh disney stuff anymore so you know. no no yeah so it, it, it's gotten very odd yeah so I mean, who knows i mean it, it's big... basically whoever wants to pay for a license there was like a, a exactly. com- there was a publisher called joe books out of canada that was publishing things for a while but i think they're out of business now so uh yeah it's <laughs> just stuff like that well, i um, think that's why i mean I love the European Disney stuff. I mean, all those fabulous Italian artists who are uh, just, you know, doing very inspiring stuff. For example, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, they seem to have been keeping those comics alive Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever that's worth. Mm -hmm. um, Since uh, you stepped out of the frame before we started to get some... Uh, art pieces i figure you know oh yes I'll give you a chance to show them off and say a little bit about them oh. <laughs> so <laughs> oh. <clears throat> uh going to conventions I, it's always nice to have some what i think of as lower priced things to offer people mm-hmm. so i just printed up a um, recolored an old spider woman cover that i did mm-hmm. um 
And how, uh, was that one one you also penciled or just inked? Yes, I drew this and penciled it. Um, uh, this was originally Spider Woman number 35 mm. back in 1981. So that was a while ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then just for fun, I did a uh, facsimile print of. Uh, uh, well, Howard, the first page of Howard the Duck number one. I oh, got okay. a, a good scan of the original artwork since mm -hmm. it got sold off a long okay. time ago, and then recreated Frank Brunner's original coloring scheme and just smoothed it over a little bit for uh, for modern sensibilities and corrected mm -hmm. a couple of uh, mistakes that had crept in. There's always things that, that were colored incorrectly. I mean, <laughs> you know, in the pre-digital days, um, I mean, these were done at such a breakneck speed that often the color separators either missed things or didn't bother. I mean, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> anyway, so I offer these things for for people to, to get at conventions or whatever mm -hmm. in lieu of a commission or something like that yeah, i'm sure there's yeah. really enough time to do all the commissions so right um are the you know what am i asking uh over the years have you just done penciling and inking or did you ever do coloring or lettering or anything like that as well on a little right bit um often well when I was doing things for uh, Storage Comics, uh, Tom Orzakowski lived nearby, so it was extremely handy to, I mean, one of the best letters in the business. It was nice that he could letter a lot of this stuff. That, uh, um, but I can do my own lettering if, if pressed to. Um, there's one... I did an Iron Man story for for Marvel, of course, <clears throat> where uh, Bill Mooney wrote the script and I did the pencils, inks, and letters and colors. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. Um, but usually, I mean, these things are done in such a hurry. It's 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 really a, a great convenience to have a lot of different people working on it. Right. Um, <laughs> Now, um, I'm sure you've seen Hogan's Alley, Hogan's Alley magazine over the years. Yes. Um, yeah. And they always show, so I've always started to ask this when I talk to creators and writers and artists and things like that. Um, inking, what, what uh, tools do you wish, to, do you usually uh, use? <laughs> I use a, usually use a hunch crow quill, 102, mm -hmm. simple pen, and uh, a brush. Um, lately I've been using Raphael brushes, but in the world of brushes, uh, I don't know if they're even available anymore. <laughs> uh, like 20 years ago, I bought a ton of them. Uh, in hindsight, I should have bought more, but <laughs> I, I usually like to ink with a Raphael number three or four brush. Uh, mm -hmm. even, even finding ink these days is a challenge. Because yeah. <laughs> um, everyone's gone digital, right? Uh, but I still like 
doing it by hand. Um, <laughs> I, hate, I hate to say the last time I bought ink, which has been a while, but I, I bought ink at Michael's Art Supply. And it was up, up here in Oregon. It was about five years ago. And they had to search for it, and they found it, and the bottles were all dusty. It's <laughs> nobody's buying them anymore. <laughs> and I still, and that's that was the last one I ever bought. And I don't do much uh, artwork myself very much these days. I'm more into writing, so it's like you know, it's just what I have, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> may even dry up in the bottle, but <laughs> um. And uh, I assume because you motioned with your right hand uh, uh, that you're right-handed. Um, I am. Okay. Because they always do that in Hogan's Alley, too, which I always think is kind of neat. They show somebody holding the pen, you know, or the brush, you know, and how they, their grip and if they're right-handed or left-handed. So, you know, I figure, yeah, that's kind of uh, interesting because nobody ever thinks to ask that. Just the art is produced. And it's like, so, you know. And how, how, how long does it take you to do a, a typical page? Uh, inking or? Penciling or inking. Penciling or inking, and it, you know, it depends on on the pencils. Uh, currently, I'm working with Mark Buckingham. And he's doing a very very intense job, so it takes a while. Um, <laughs> I usually give it a, a couple of days for a page. <clears throat> Fortunately, it it pays well enough that I can I can uh, do it that way. I don't have to just kill myself over the deadlines, <laughs> although. The editors would like to speed it up, but still, of course. Um, uh, but you know, the way I think of it, there's only so many lines you can squeeze onto a page, so mm -hmm. um, so either a day or two, generally speaking. Uh, if I'm penciling it, um, usually the prep end of it takes way more time than actually producing the page, mm -hmm. um, figuring out what you want to draw, and then figuring out how to draw it and then actually drawing it mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, um, we're kind of wrapping up, but the, I have okay. to ask you about this. Um, uh, you have participated in a group and I uh, have the actual book it's based on, Seduction of the Innocent. Ah. <laughs> uh, yes. That's the real deal book there. Um that was fun. Um, do you still uh, ever participate in that? I know there's no, because of COVID and everything, there's no real conventions much. But over the years, I mean, do you still uh, play in the band uh, with Billy Moomy and all the others? Well, we haven't. <clears throat> well, the last time we actually played was quite some time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I think 19... 1999. Really? I thought it was... Yes. <laughs> wow, that's um, far back. <laughs> well, <clears throat> it's just one of those things where uh, uh, meeting various people at San Diego Convention and mm -hmm. talking about playing, and, and we, we, we all thought, well, let's give it a try and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, I mean, the main instigator of that group was Bill Moomy yeah. and Miguel Ferrer, uh, yeah. and it was also... Max Allen Collins and mm -hmm. uh, myself on bass and uh, John Christensen uh, mm -hmm. on guitar. Um, it was a, a comics-themed band. All of us had were working in comics in one way or another. Uh, Bill and Miguel had been writing a lot of comics. They did a series at Marvel, Comet Man, 
Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and uh, and various things. And I worked on several projects with them as well, as well. And Max Allen Collins, of course, was writing the Dick Tracy comic strip at that time, uh, mm -hmm. and eventually Ms. Tree and all kinds of other stuff. <clears throat> and uh, who else? Uh, and even. Uh, Chris Christensen uh, has been working on some music projects with uh, uh, Will Eisner. Um, so anyway, so it was a comics themed band that we played at, and we played at comics conventions. We played mm -hmm. at the Heroes Con in, in uh, Charlotte, um, uh, Bay Con, San Francisco, San Diego Con. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We put out a couple of CDs. So, if you hear that noise, that's my dog. I'm sorry. I, was, I, was thinking, I, I hear the, the snorting of a yeah. of a happy dog there. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I try to keep a straight face, and then I was like, arr, arr. anyway, a little. Um, how did a little they? I've never asked, uh, with Seduction of the Innocent, how did they choose you? I mean, you're probably already friends, but did they know you played the bass, or how'd that work? Well, it, it was just one of those moments where there was a party at the San Diego Con, and uh, a bunch of wise guys sit, sitting at the back of the room listening to the band that was playing. Everyone's saying, they're not very good. I can play better than that. And, <laughs> and uh, there's there's your your dog behind you. There's Lulu. a fine looking fellow. <laughs> That's a female Lulu. <laughs> ah. And this uh, is I got Mia too. So anyway, there's Mia. <laughs> Yay, the pet's great. Uh, okay, um, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I you know it's one of those things where uh, at that point in time, I think. Miguel had just started doing acting, but he had been a professional jazz drummer mm. for quite some time. Really good drummer. Uh, and Bill plays guitar. Mm -hmm. uh, Max uh, Collins played keyboards, and I piped up that I played bass. Oh, okay. And, and uh, we tried it out, and it seemed to work. And uh, um, we ended up playing at the San Diego Con. Everyone had seemed to have a good time, mm -hmm. and we did it for several shows in various places. So mm -hmm. that's how that came about. Mm -hmm. so. That's very good. Yeah, because uh, I think I saw one of the shows. I couldn't tell you which year because <laughs> I used to <laughs> go every year. Yeah, in San Diego, I used to go every year in the '90s. So it's like I, you yes. know, it was one of those years, <laughs> and um, you know. Uh, it was just a thrill just knowing it, it seemed weird. I knew Bill was in Barnes and Barnes. And so I knew yes. he had musical background, but I didn't know all the rest of you did. So it was like, wow, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, people who are artists like yourself, you know, you, it's the arts. So a lot of times, yeah, people have the ability to play musical instruments as well as draw or whatever but you know i don't think of it that way as a fan i just think that's all you do you don't do anything else. well you know? in my younger days i i thought i'd either like to play music or or do something with with artwork 
and I really couldn't decide at the time. Uh, and the artwork came along first, so I, I sort of gravitated in that direction. Uh, but I've always liked playing. So, uh, did you have whatever. any formal formal training on that, or you just picked it up yourself? No, no, untrained, untrained. <laughs> I don't read music. I just try yeah. my best to keep mm -hmm. the beat. Mm -hmm. you know. That's cool. But I managed to do okay. No, sounds good. It's fun. It's all fun. Or it should be, yes. If it's not fun, then right. Yeah, not and fun. that's what that's what I always thought about seduction of the innocent. I mean, it was it wasn't so serious that you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah, you were just having fun on stage, but you had the ability yeah. to play, and it was fun, fun, well, fun watching it too. So, <laughs> well, for those guys, it was it was a fun type band. It wasn't their serious one, right? I mean, we, all all the other people in the band were are we're all actually professional musicians i was the only one who wasn't so <laughs> but yeah you 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 fooled me <laughs> no you were able to pull it off so <laughs> well, um, volume and attitude that's what we always used to say <laughs> well um I don't really have any more questions and I usually try to keep okay. it, you know, between 60 and 90 minutes, but sure. uh, before we wrap it up here or how we wrap it up here typically on the show is uh, tell me, you know, what projects you're currently working on and if there's any convention appearances, I know it's difficult during the COVID time, but some people are kind of getting out and about and how they can contact you. Um, convention wise, sort of playing it by ear. Um, I actually have one. I don't know when people are going to be seeing this. Is it live? A couple, couple weeks. Couple weeks. So. Ah, okay. So the one I'm do actually doing tomorrow will be long gone by that point in time. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a few scheduled, you know, health health concerns permitting. Um, uh, I think I'll be doing the San Diego Con this year and the San Diego Comics Fest. Both of those are in San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, and talking about a few conventions back east um, that haven't quite been firmed up. Uh, so, so nothing that I can pinpoint specifically at the moment. Um, and I'm working on a few projects nothing that will be out anytime soon fables is still in the works it's an ongoing thing <laughs> um <clears throat> i think i think dc is going to be doing a push for that uh, um, fairly soon hmm. um, yeah. but I'd, i'm keeping busy it's i must say in this weird in these weird times, it's nice to have a job where, uh, I mean, I've always worked at home yeah. anyway. So right. uh, the idea of not going out is, <laughs> is really nothing, nothing unusual. Oh, what's all the fuss? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, we miss going out to restaurants all the time. But aside yeah. from that, it's, it's uh, you know, from our point of view, it's almost business as usual. Mm -hmm. So, but I do hope to see people at various conventions here and there. So. 
And, wherever those might be. And then if people want to get in contact with you, do you have a website oh, or anything else? <laughs> I don't really have a website. The, uh, I do have a Facebook page that uh, okay. um, I, I log on to every now and again. So, but <laughs> mostly I just keep working. So. Mm -hmm. so I've got some noisy neighbors, but... Oh. <laughs> I'm not here. <laughs> All right. Well, um, it's always well, a pleasure. It's, it's, Go ahead. Yes. It's been nice chatting with you. I hope people aren't bored to tears. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I always like to do these shows. Uh, well, I do shows uh, about music. I do shows about TV and movies and uh, yes. comic books and animation and stuff like that. And uh, you may know my friend Lee Hester. He was the one who says, you got to get Trina on the show. And I said, you know, if I get Trina on the show, i got to get Steve on the show. So yes. I, always enjoy, well, I, I always enjoy talking to you and seeing you when I can. It's been a while, but, you know. <laughs> yes, I, I did a store signing at his store with Gene Colan, and that was one of my personal highlights, speaking of Lee. Yeah. Um, uh, Gene Cullen was a particularly nice man. Well, yes. I've been lucky. All, most of the people I work with in comics are nice people. So, yeah, it's generally a fun group. There's a few weird, well, <laughs> as in any profession. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. Well, um, that about wraps it up. And I want to thank you, Steve Leolo, for being my special guest. And <laughs> my pleasure. Uh, thank we, you. And uh, we had all the animals here, you know, the dogs and yes. kitties. And uh, um, my cat's just passed out, falling asleep, as everybody at the at home is <laughs> doing right now. All right, and uh, we'll see you next time on the right. Fun Ideas podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Steve Lealoa, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number one fifty-two will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.